Welcome to the What's Your Story podcast with Alan Sal. We thank you for joining us today. Um, as many of you do know, uh, we were a different name. We were the Blue Collar Hour podcast, and we have changed it up, and we are going on YouTube video. We have a studio, so we thank you for for, for you for joining us for this uh, groundbreaking moment for us. So, Al, you know, I have to say, ow, ow, ow. Al, I have to say you're looking good today. Uh, I you I look like you like you got a haircut. You have clean shaven. <laughs> looks like you got a tan and you've been working out. I mean, what's going on, Al? I wish I looked as good as Al did, uh, but um Oh, this isn't Al. This is this is Jaylon. Yes, yes, okay, yes. Jaylon. So Jaylon's joining us today because my partner Al is on vacation. Mm. He is uh in the Caribbean right now, soaking up the sun. And petting koalas, was it? No, it's sloths. Sloth. Yes. He's pet <laughs> he, they paid a lot of money to pet sloths, you know. And I said, Al. I don't know why your wife wants to pay all this money to pet sloth. She's got you to pet every day. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I don't get it. Um, I'm amazed that there's sloth in the Caribbean. I, um, I think it's like Colombia. Oh, they went okay, through the okay, Panama okay. Canal. And, um, but we wish him well. I uh, can't wait to have him back. Yes. But, Jaylon, you're with us today, and you were our uh, star guest last year, and uh, you had an amazing story. And actually... You and our guests have something in common. Okay. Do you know what that is? Um, we are both fair-skinned. Mm, no. I believe it was we both spent time in prison. We did. And the thing is, uh, this man we have on today, has, his track record kind of makes you look like a choir boy. Finally, somebody. Finally, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to our guest now. It's it's Kevin Dodge. Our Kevin Dodge. How are you today, Kevin? Very good. Thank you for having me. Very good. I mean, what does R stand for? R. It's just R. Yeah. There's no meaning to the R. You just put an R in front like, of you. No, are you Kevin? Uh, okay. <laughs> because okay. to be honest with you, every time I want to say your name, I, I have to act like a pilot, like R, Kevin Dodge. <laughs> you know? thought it stood for Reverend. And no, you know, people think that too. You know, they, they come up for all kinds of oh, I really, I really thought it stood for Reverend. Yeah, nope. Stands for R. Usually they put an A or something in the front of the name, so in front of the, in the, in the like, telephone book, the first. Yeah. But you chose a letter at the it's, end of the alphabet. I don't get it. It is who I am. <laughs> <laughs> so very excited to have you, Kevin. Um, you have an amazing story, and it's funny how uh, we got connected. I don't know if I mentioned this to you. A, uh, a woman I work with, a sister in the Lord, actually, uh, went to a, I think it was a Dollar Tree. Dollar Tree. I remember the event. Yes, in Newport, right? It was weird because I walked into the store and all three of them just turned around and stared at me. Really? <laughs> it was like the weirdest thing. I'm like, what are they staring at? Wow. And, it was... uh, yeah, and then when I got to the cash register, the woman said, like, you're blessed of God or something like that. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Right? And then we got to, I got to talk to him and she had him, and the woman says, yeah. I just want to close the store down so we can sit here and talk all day. Wow, wow. wow. and this so, was this was the worker? The, yeah, it was three oh. of them there, two workers and the lady, yeah. Yeah. It was a weird encounter, yeah. So, I mean, she got to work probably like the next day, and she showed me the uh, pamphlet that you held, had mm -hmm. handed her. Mm -hmm. um, and I said... Podcast guest. Podcast guest. This is this is this is a calling from God that this was supposed to happen. Divine so, appointment. Yes, absolutely. You, that, you stole my words. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
as I was reading up from your pamphlet, I did notice. Well, actually, where did you grow up? Where I grew you, up in Boston. And bo- right yeah, in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now it, you did say you, that you had a dysfunctional family. Very dysfunctional. You know, I, I I try not to berate my parents, but I give this one story of my parents because my father was a cop, and uh, my mother and father always battled. I mean, it was like a battle royale. We had holes in walls, and my father's clothes would get sliced up with razor blades, and they and they'd punch each other out. And it was just oh. a terrible, terrible situation with them. And uh, it's funny because it didn't start that way. I don't know how it turned that way. But after about six years, it turned that way. So one day, we, we lived in the projects, and my father and mother were at it in the kitchen. And they're just going at it. And my father just yelled and says, I've had it with this family. And he turned his service revolver at me and my brother Ooh, and wow. capped off a couple rounds. Wow. Now, there were blanks, and we laughed at it. But I think back of the dysfunction of this. Mm. You know, I mean, that kind of sets the tone where, mm. where things are at. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Traumatic events. When you're, yeah. On how old were you when this, this I was event probably about this? seven or eight at the wow. time. Oh, yeah. that's, that's serious right there. Yeah, mm. we had a very, very dysfunctional family, yeah. Uh, the, my mother was always drunk. Okay, uh, yeah. Both had affairs. They did their things and stuff like that. So, yeah, right. it was pretty dysfunctional. And you were caught in the middle. Yeah, yeah. And, and how many siblings did you have? I had two brothers and a sister, yeah. Okay, and uh, they were all well, I hope. They're doing well, yeah. I uh, just seen actually just seen my older brother last year for the first time in forty six years. Wow, wow. What was and that I, like? What was that like? Yeah, you know, it was like we never left. Wow. Yeah, we just you know it was it was wonderful. Yeah. You know I, mean? I ha- have yet to see my younger brother. I haven't seen him since he was sixteen. Mm-hmm. I think he's like fifty eight now. <laughs> is he on? Is he? He lives. In, he lives in Colorado. My other, my older brother was in Kansas. My sister was in Florida, but she's up in Massachusetts now, and I see her pretty regularly now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Spread all out, huh? Mm-hmm. So, as far as the um, dysfunction, did that lead into any mischievous behavior, getting into trouble? Well, I was always, I, I was like the kid, I always say, I was the kid that the teachers wanted to save. <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I was a really rebellious kid. I looked like Leave the Beaver, but I was really a rebellious kid. And I, like even during like recess, we, we were, me and my buddy Eddie, we'd, we'd shake down people. If they wanted to come out to recess, yeah, they had to pay us. Wow. Oh, wow. You know I mean, I was a fifth grader. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it was that kind of stuff, kind of dysfunction. And uh, one time we, they sent me to parochial school, figured they were going to straighten me out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, they couldn't straighten me out. And uh, the nuns used to get me, Eddie, they sent us over to First National so they could give us milk and cookies, you know, later mm-hmm. on. And we'd do this shopping farm, but we'd have shopping bags, film, you know, film the cartons of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead and milk and cookies, whatever, and stuff like that. But yeah, <laughs> was, oh, wow. we were always scoring, even as kids, yeah. Always getting into yeah. it, huh? Yeah. Now, I saw that you had a, a motto as well. And I don't know if this was when you were a kid at what, what time you, you thought like this or said this, but the motto that you have is, if it was wrong... It was right, right for, for me. me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, a lot of the guys I hung with, I was like the one of the youngest guys in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And while they thought about doing something, I'd do it. Mm. You know, if you sat there and said, well, we don't like this press. We should throw a brick through the window. I already got the brick and it's already thrown. Let's go. <laughs> you know what I mean, right. so that's the kind of kid I was. Yeah, I was always very forward about these things. You know what I mean? Right. And in many ways, you think like it's a, it's a call for help because, you know, the dysfunction didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But back then, it made sense to me. Yeah. You know, it made sense to me. It's amazing how if you, you know, maybe we had a, a behavioral uh, scientist on, and Jaylon knows Mike Cabarelli, and just the things, the books he writes, it just, how your childhood, you know, leads into so much dysfunction in your life just from, you know, 
as early as like two, three years old. Not only that, but you know, if you there was a study done on prisons years ago, and it found like over eighty five percent of the people who are in prison come from fatherless homes. Wow, I believe. And it. so they were I missing. They were missing the blessing of a father. Yes, right, right. And you, when you look back at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all, they always had the blessing of the father. You know, to encourage them, to pass on the blessing, to, to direct them and guide them. And when you don't have that. That is a real curse uh, upon the neutral of the family, you know, the nucleus of the family. Right. So the kids grow up without the blessing of the father, and you get a mother who's trying to do all things, and they're you know, missing half the time anyway. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's, it brings a lot of dysfunction. So with dysfunction, you get dysfunction. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were, were, were there any defining moments for you when you knew you were on a path of destruction? I, uh, you know, I, n- I never even really thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. To me, is this is just what I do. Yep. It's just, this is what I do. Whether you like it or not, this doesn't make any difference to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, 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 I steal to eat. Mm-hmm. I steal to do this. I, it's, yeah. So it starts off, you know, people used to say, well, how did you get into crime? I said, well, gee, I had to eat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Because I was, you know, I was a street kid and stuff like that. I, I stole. I did my first arm robbery when I was uh, with a plastic gun, by the way. I sanded it down and spray painted to make it look real. And so that, you're kind yeah. of an artist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was an artist, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I did my first arm robbery when I was like 14 years old. Wow. Yeah. 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 So um, I noticed you had a model. It's like you got, and then you had a dream. And your dream was to become a rich criminal, you yeah. said. Yeah. Yeah. I always you know I was two things: an airline pilot or a rich criminal. <laughs> and, you know, and the airline, the airline pilot didn't seem as exciting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, right. I'd always watch. I'd always watch the cowboy movies and stagecoaches and you know, robbing uh, trains. I said, Man, if I was back then, I'd definitely be taking those trains. You know I mean? <laughs> right. So, you know? so what was it? I mean, you said you did your first arm robbery at fourteen, which is amazing to me. Um, what What was your life like uh, in those early days as? "Quote unquote criminal." To me, it was very normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, when people say, "Well, what does it feel like to go in there and rob someone?" I said, "Well, the first time, like you're probably nervous. Mm-hmm. The second time, you're less nervous. The third time, it's like going in and getting a loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just get used to it. And, and, and anything in life, you know, I explain to people: uh, if you're in the criminal field long enough, and you kind of rise in criminal field, you do much more serious things. Obviously, as you go on." Uh, you, you, your conscience becomes seared. Mm. And I, mm. I try to explain people what a seared conscience is. You know, if I, if I take a needle, I tell people, and I stick you right here in the hand, you're going to go, ow! Right. But if I take a needle and stick it in that callus, you're not going to feel a thing. Mm. And that's what a seared conscience is like. It's like a calloused heart. Yes. And no matter what you do, you will justify it. You justify sin. You justify wrongdoing uh, because mm. there is no conscience there. Mm. Now, now, what age did you feel... Yourself growing in status as a as a criminal or as a big shot. I you know I never thought of myself as a big shot. Mm-hmm. You know I, I never did. I just I did what I I do. I uh, I think what I I came to my own though when I uh, when I was in prison, and I I became the president of the NPRA, the National Prisoners Reform Association. That was back in the violent seventies of the ACI, mm-hmm. and uh, it was during then during the riots and murders that took place down there, and uh, we kind of control the running of the prison mm-hmm. and uh so you know i i i got interwinded with people i would like to say mm-hmm. yes you now I mean? it made more connections yeah right now it said that you do had 
had some ties to organized crime. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is um, now was that in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, both? Both places. Both places. I was. Uh, I had some ties with guys, and uh, you know, just just guys that I liked, guys that I met. You know, and uh, you know, you you do your thing. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. People always say, well, what did you do? I said, we don't talk about those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought we were going to talk to about on that podcast. We'll talk about statute of limitations. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we're not going to get any details, I guess. We don't detail stuff. Really. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've done, a, I've done a lot of stuff. That, you know, and I, my thing is, you know, I, I had someone uh, a couple weeks ago, I was speaking at the uh, Broken Chains Biker Church up in Taunton, and they come up to me and said, boy, after hearing you speak, I wish I had your testimony. Mm. Mm. And I looked at him, I said, you out of your mind? <laughs> As you want my testimony? Mm. As you want to spend all decades in prison? You want to know that you've hurt so many people in your mm. life, your own children, your wives, your family, uh, people who should not have been victims and stuff like that? I said, you want that? Mm. No, I they don't think not, about they, the yeah, no, because yeah. you know they think of me up there as a speaker. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, they see me as a speaker, and people want to talk to me and stuff like this. But they don't understand <laughs> the journey that took place to get there, and that the hurtful journey and the painful journey. Not only not only for them, but for myself too. I would never yeah. admit that I was in pain, mm. but you know, today in hindsight, of course, there was pain there. Mm. You know, I, I regret the, the things that I did. I regret hurting people. Uh, you know, there's people out there who don't probably have fathers or something today. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, you do regret those things. And so, you, I always tell people the best testimony is you come to Christ in an early age, and Christ keeps you all through the days of your life. That yeah. is the best testimony in the world. Right. My 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 life is not my testimony; it's the testimony of Christ in my life, yeah. and it's a, it's nothing but grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Yes. That's mm-hmm. what it's all about. Yeah. I am, you know, I shouldn't even be used by God. But yeah. you know, when you check the Bible, he specializes in rejects. Yeah, yeah. Look, what, look what Paul did. Paul, yeah. mass murder, basically. He'd be, yeah. uh, he'd be for doing for crimes today. Uh, Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, uh, Mary Magdalene, you know, all of them. Yeah. They're all rejects. Yeah. And that's what Jesus specializes in. Jesus said this, I'm a physician. I came for the sick, yes. not the healthy. Yeah. You know what? I was sick. Mm-hmm. So, so, so tell me about how was your life when, how was your life going? How did you look at it? And what were the events for your first convictions? Well, my first convictions, I mean, I, you know, I went to prison. Uh, it was no big deal. Mm-hmm. It, it just, it wasn't a big deal. Prison, you know, I, I my wife once said something to me. She's one of the, one of my weaknesses is I, I don't get scared about anything. She says, you, you, there's nothing really frightened you. And I thought about that. I said, yeah, that is probably a weakness. Some of them I've seen it as a strength. But I actually, it really is a weakness because you don't have any fear. You don't have any, you know, you're not scared about things. And to me, that was just, part, going to prison was just part of what you do. Life of crime, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, if you if you want to get into a life of crime, you know what? Prison is part of it. You right. know, punishment is part of it. You know that uh, hurt, maybe be hurt, is part of it. Mm. You don't get into the game unless you want to be in the game. Right. So I, I like how you said it's a weakness, but you're not in your calling. So the fact that you don't get frightened by things, you know, God can imagine God can use you for whatever because you'll step in. Seems like you'll step into any situation that that God's calling you to. Well, someone, someone, uh, Nikki Barbette, it was a book on Nikki, Nikki and Gretchen was written by uh, Chaplain Ray Books years ago, 
and he did, once described me to people. He was out speaking and got back to me. He says, I know a guy in Walpole State Prison. He's a kamikaze for Christ. <laughs> I said, well, I never thought about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I never thought about it. You know, people really, uh, they truly didn't really understand my conversion. As a matter of fact, uh, a number of people in Rhode Island were very, very concerned when I converted. Now, you have to understand that the government wanted to make a deal with me. That's how, that was out. And so what they did is they kind of parlayed my time. So we were talking about sentence instruction. Mm. We had a 20-year bid. And my sentence structure was 19 to 20 years, 30 to 45 years, 30 to 45 years, 75 to 85 years, and two lives. Wow. So that, that can, can hold you. So why don't you say that again for, for our listeners? What okay. was your sentence? 19 to 20 years, 30 to 45 years, 30 to 45 years, 75 to 85 years, and two life sentences. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, that sounds like a lot of convictions. That will hold you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, with, uh, the judge, uh, one of the judges said I was a man beyond any means of rehabilitation. Mm. Mm. He said, usually we send people to prison for rehabilitation. He said, you're beyond rehabilitation. And in my minimus papers, it says punishment. Wow. It says punishment right on there. Yeah. Uh, the other guy said, the uh, other judge said I didn't have one redeeming feature about me, which later on in years, I thought that was, no, he was right. Mm. But I found the redeemer. I found someone who gave meaning to my life, mm. purpose to my life, and that was Jesus Christ. Now, you said that your conscience was seared, and I also read this. You said that once uh, you finished a job and you suggested to your cohorts that you get something to eat. Yeah. Uh, and even they were appalled by this, knowing what they had just finished. Yeah, that's something that the Holy Spirit brought back to me years ago, and I shared it with people. And, uh, we, had, uh, we had to go do something. There's another state. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of an impatient guy. I just want to get things done and get over with. And uh, things just didn't work out the way we wanted to work out. And I kind of over, overdid what should have been done. And after it done, I'm saying, okay, I am just like fatigued or I'm starved. Let's go get something to eat. Mm. And look at this. You want to eat after this? Mm. He said, you like, and he, these were guys, correct, remember guys. They weren't no, you know, no, babysitters. And he, and he says, you, you have one of the most cold-hearted people I've ever met. He says, you don't look like a guy like that, but you really, really are. Mm. He says, you just can do anything to walk away. And I think about that today. And I said, wow, that's a pretty sad place to be. A pretty sad place to be. It is, it is. Um, it just shows, again, how we were talking about God's grace and the, forgive, the amount of forgiveness he um affords us. So I'm eager to hear about your conversion and it is, is there was a like can you remember it specifically oh, oh, yeah. hold up hold oh, up right, you're right. jumping the gun right, now yeah, right. young man <laughs> sorry because we're gonna get there yeah, so you got sentenced to all that time yes yeah. you're in prison now you had quite the start on your prison you had uh I would say a lot of amenities because of the position that you held. Yeah, yeah. Well, Why don't you, you talk know, about that first? Look, of course, when I was a president of the unions, I had my own office. You know, I used to. <laughs> like Jay Long looked over to you, like I never had an office. I had my, my own push button phones in the wow. office. Uh, we had a, we had a lot of friends. I, I used to hold press conferences from inside the ACI and stuff like this. Matter of fact, Jay Joseph Gary, the governor. I'm one of the only inmates in the country that a governor ever came to a prison to visit. He visited me and our Romeo Gabriel, who has since been uh, passed away. And uh, they wanted our, uh, our support for bond issue. And I, I didn't think too much of it at the time. But now that my book is being written, I'm saying, 
Yeah, governor. <laughs> I was in prison. A governor came to see me. Why am I support? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I didn't think too much at the time, but said, yeah, that is kind of an unusual event. You know mm. what I mean? And we had a motorcycle shop, and I used to drive my motorcycles around, stuff like this. And, so uh, you have to used to drive the motorcycle around the yard? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 And steak and lobster, too. Well, that, that's right. a funny story. That's, that, that's, a, that's, a, I, I, that's kind of a hilarious story. One day we were out in the prison yard, and uh, the shift commander came up. He's a captain. He said, yeah, what are you guys doing? I said, oh, well, outside, we're having something to eat. He said, well, what do you guys? I always got some bookie rolls and some rye and some, you know, mortadella, ham, salami, mm-hmm. and stuff like cheese and stuff. He's looking at me kind of strange. He's like, yeah, I got these five-gallon buckets that you buy at Lowe's. Yeah, you really got them? I said, why? Who's asking? He said, well, the guard towers. He says, they got, they got their binoculars on you. He said, well, contact them. Tell them to mind their own business. <laughs> right? He kind of looked at me. He said, really? He said, what, what, do you got, what do you got in those? Uh, I said, well, ah, Alaskan King crab legs and lobsters. <laughs> so he laughs. He laughs. He says, no, really? What do you got there? I cracked them up. I says, Alaskan King crab legs and lobsters. Wow. He says, where did you get those things? He says, I didn't go to Gloucester to get them. <laughs> he said, you could eat the evidence and get rid of it really quick. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a, uh, a, a scene in Goodfellas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their, their little apartment there. You cooking. know what I tell people when it comes to prison? Is, is, you know, I tell people, if you're the CEO of a corporation, you obviously have more say, more pull, more influence than the guy who's working in the mail room. There's a pecking order. Mm. Well, there's a pecking order in prison. You know, guys on higher brackets get more things done than people with lower brackets. You know, I had a young kid come up there. When you wash your clothes, it gets thrown in a bag. It's washed in a bag. It's dried in a bag. When my, comes, my clothes come back, folded. they're all pressed. They're all pressed, neatly pressed, folded, ironed, and everything. He says, how can I get my stuff done? I said, how long have you been in, kid? He says, three years. I said, I've been here for 20. When you get 20, you can get it done. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, you also mentioned a quote from the Bible, a uh, scripture, Proverbs 1320, um, and it's Basically says you hang around with fools, you're gonna get hurt. You're right? gonna get hurt, right? Mm-hmm. You know, extortion is all the money goes through your fingers and stuff like this, and, mm-hmm. and you do, you know, you you do. But you know, I also look at David in Psalm one nineteen. He said this: "It was good that I was afflicted that I might know your decrees." Now I tell people I put that in modern day terms for you. It's good that this tragedy, this difficulty, this hardship coming into my life that I might get to know you, God. Mm, mm, you know, because like I always tell you, nobody ever calls out God and say, God, I just want $100 million in a lottery. Please help me. No, no one's saying that. Yeah. It's when we're destitute, when, when the t- times are very, very yes. difficult. Yes. You know, I said Teen Challenge not long ago, and I, I, I share these things. And I, uh, I tell people, I, I, I equate, I make up parables, and I equate mankind to a car. I'll call, usually call someone up. I say, hey, by the way, I'm going to buy you a 550 C-class Mercedes-Benz. I said, no, not really. But he looks at me, right? I said, but if I did, I said, and I put, I gave you the keys. I said, and I put water in the engine, and I put gasoline in the engine, but I left the oil out. And I told you to go down to 57th and 6th at the Nomad Hotel in Manhattan and pick up my buddy, but there's no oil in the car. What do you think is going to happen? And he says, well, it ain't going to run too well. I says, you're a genius. You know? <laughs> he says, no. He says, really? I says, yeah, well, what's going to happen, though? Well, the engine's going to seize up. That's right. And you're going to be on the right-hand side of the highway. And what's that called? The breakdown lane. I said, when you're in the breakdown lane, do you call for a carpenter? No. you call for a plumber? No. I said, you call for an auto repair guy to help you out. I said, well, the same thing. Man's like that. We're three parts. 
We're mental, physical, and spiritual. Mm. And we exercise our mental capacity every single day, whether it's good or bad. Right. We exercise our mental capacity, okay? So we got the water going on. Physically, whether we're doing good stuff or bad stuff, we take care of our bodies, we eat, we do things, you know. So we got the gas in the car. What's missing mm. is the spiritual. Mm. And that should be the most dominant part because our body and our mind is going to die someday. Our spirit will live forever. forever. And that's where our investment should be. Yes. But because we don't invest in the spirit, we don't have any oil. And we find ourselves in the breakdown lane of life. So what I do is I ask people now, here's your breakdown lane. Prism, drugs, alcohol, and I go right down the line. I said, the question is, how long do you want to be in the breakdown lane of life? I said, I know when I found myself in the breakdown lane of life, I wanted to get out of there. And if it was a spiritual problem, I had to call upon the living God to get that resolved. Right. I love that parable. That's good. I never heard it like that. Excellent one. These are things I just made up in prison. <laughs> <laughs> you had the time. So um, going to Jay Lon's question about this uh, event that took place, right, that st- sparked the transformation, and it was a moment in solitary confinement. Am I, I correct? Was in solitary confinement. I, had, I got a TV, and the TV blew up. Now, you're not old enough, Jay Lon, to know this, but there was a thing called UHF. <laughs> What's that? Okay, <laughs> UHF stations. And my TV blew up, and that's all I could get. And I said, what the heck? So I turned on. Oh, Roberts, give me a seed faith. Right? And, uh, Timmy, Timmy, Miss Makeup, and Jim Baker. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. praise the Lord. You know, all this kind of stuff, right? And Rex Humbard, I said, I tell people, I said, I did like watching Rex Humbard. His daughter was really cute. She was a singer. <laughs> I really like that, right? But you know what? I said, you know, these people are going to drive me nuts. But I, I had a new TV coming up. But I just got bored like a day or two afterwards. And I put on the 700. It was called the 700 Club. I didn't even know what it was at the time. And uh, Ben Kenschler was there. And uh, he was interviewing this guy named Gene Nail, who's an ex-offender. He was doing 55 years in prison. We have became very good friends over the years. He's since gone home to believe in Jesus. And, uh, and I tell people, had they been interviewing Gene from inside prison, I wouldn't even listen to it. Because I had seen jailhouse religion. Mm. I see all the guys with the, you know, all these yep. big mammoth Bibles yes. walking down. <laughs> Hallelujah. And they want to go out in the yard and pray so mm-hmm. I can see them and all this kind of stuff. You know, that, not, nothing I'm interested in. But this guy was now out. Mm. And he didn't, have to, he didn't have to convince a parole board. Wow. He didn't have to compare convinced guards or caseworkers or family, nothing. He was out, and he was still talking this stuff about Jesus. And at the end of the interview, I, something happened to you? I learned that he had a sense of peace and purpose and direction that I didn't have. Mm. And so I tell people, I said the most theological prayer in the world. I went, hey, you, <laughs> you know how to change lives? Try this one. Wow. And, you know, I didn't know. I mean, there's a thousand religions in the world. You know what I mean? I didn't know if it was about Jesus. And here's what I said. You have to show me that Jesus is the way. Now, you had no religion. Just let you know, I'm not hearing nothing. You're not hearing anything? No. Not hearing a thing. Check his um, headphone jack in the back. No, still hearing. I can hear, but I'm just not hearing anything. Okay. 
So uh, you weren't uh, religious, um, not, no, not in any least. sense of. You just got to get it. Yeah. Good job, Jaylon. You're doing a great job on that mixing board. No, nope, just went off again. Oh. I'm not touching anything. So. Oh, that's all right. That's so, okay. I can hear your voices. Um, so you weren't religious at all? No, not the least. No. No. So this was, and you didn't even care for it. You didn't believe in it. No, I, I didn't. You know, you, I mean, if if I believed in it, I wouldn't be doing what I was doing. You know what I mean? I always tell people, I says, you know, after after I learned all the stuff, I knew the reality of heaven and hell. And I said, mm. I knew I was going to hell, and Hitler was probably going to be my roommate. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. So I just knew. But you know what? I When I gave my life to Christ, I had no idea the plans he was going to have for my life. I just wanted a sense of peace and purpose while I died in prison. Because my nearest pro eligibility was going to be year 2063. I was going to be pretty old, you know what I mean? And my name ain't Methuselah. Okay? <laughs> so I said, I'm going to die in prison. The only way I'm getting out of prison, I'm going to be in a green bag with a toe tag on my toe and die of old age or eh, get murdered or something like that. Mm. Who knows? You know, but uh, yeah, that's where I was going to go. And it was pretty significant to also with uh, uh, Ben Kinschlau. Um, you said a prayer with him, and it was significant. Very significant. Of, of why. Well, right? you have to understand, I grew up in Boston in the 50s. Mm. In the 60s, race, prejudice. Uh, if a black family moved into the neighborhood, there goes the neighborhood. Wow. You know, and you hear these from parents yeah. and stuff like this. So you don't grow up racist. This stuff is embedded in you. Yeah. It's, it's placed upon you, yeah. you know what I mean? And so I said, you know, I said, boy, God's got a sense of humor. <laughs> of all the people, he used a, a black man to lead me to Christ. Wow. Mm. And that's what I learned, and I didn't know the Bible yet. God was not a respecter of persons. God mm-hmm. made everybody. God loves everybody, and God's going to use everybody. Right. And I'm sure he does have a sense of humor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he say he does have a sense of humor. Yeah. And you also said uh, you're, you're dumb enough to stand on the promises of God. Yes, I tell people. I said, you know, I have three degrees. And uh, I tell them, I said, but when it comes to my faith, my degrees are put on the shelf. Mm. I said, because, you know, Jesus says you must have faith like a child. And I just got this little, simple, kind of childlike faith. And I tell people, I am just dumb enough to believe the promises of God. Mm-hmm. When God says, I'm going to meet all your needs, I believe that. When God says, you're going to be, my, he's my healer, I believe that. Amen. When God says, he's going to give me a sense of peace when I'm in turbulent waters, I just believe that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm just, I'm simple like that. And a lot of people say they believe it, but. And then when the test happens and they're worrying and they're questioning and they're. It happens, but um, when your faith is tested, it's time to exercise that. that yeah, faith I, I never, you know, I when stuff comes into my life, and I, I these past two years have been tough years for me, I'm telling you. I almost died from COVID. Wow. I was in ICU. I, I was in grave condition. I wasn't supposed to make it. Uh, then I came down with a COVID-related brain disease. I was diagnosed with dementia. Wow. And after that, I wow. had a massive heart attack. And I just, okay, God, you know what? You told me I still got work to do, so let's just do it. <laughs> let's just do it. You know he's, I mean? not, he's not done with you. Let's go on with life, you know what I mean? Good, yeah, yeah, your doctors did stuff, you did stuff, you healed me, let's do it. Amen. Yeah, That's amazing. Um, so after that, after the whole uh, solitary thing, you had, you say you had a divine appointment with uh, a man, a Reverend Jim Spencer. Vince, tell us about yes, that. well, you know, my being a Catholic, uh, I, I grew up Catholic, but I wasn't Catholic, obviously. 
And uh, so I went to the uh, Catholic chaplain's office. I knocked on the door. And there was a priest and two nuns there. And I asked them questions about Noah, about Abraham. I had like five or six different questions I asked them. And they started arguing with each other. <laughs> One says, it's allegorical, those aren't real people. And I go back and forth. I says, man, I got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get out of here, man. These people don't know what they believe. You know what I mean? And so anyway, I, uh, this this guy, Jim Spence, he uh, he was an electrical engineer. And he, he left his position as an electrical engineer to become a, uh, a chaplain. No, not a big pay raise there. No, but, uh, definitely not. But he came in, so I knocked on the door, and I said, hey, uh, my name is Kevin Dodge. He said, I know who you are. Okay. I said, I got some questions for you. And uh, I gave him the exact same questions, and to my amazement, he went to the Bible. Mm. He opened up the Bible and gave me mm. answers from the Bible. It's a good place to stop. Right <laughs> there. Right there <laughs> I knew please. I found someone was going to help me. Now, I didn't understand at the time, but as I read the Bible, and I've told people over the years, and me and Jim are still very close today, uh, he was my Paul, and I was his Timothy. Mm. And believe me, he used to send me back to my cell, gripping my T-shirt, and this guy can't possibly be right. <laughs> I mean, mm. And I said, but I'd go back to my cell, he'd tell me what to read, he'd tell me to pray about it, and every single time, I found out that the man of God was right, the Bible was right, and I was wrong, and I'm the one who had to change. Yes. You know, and change wasn't easy. You know, I was prone to violence. Right. It wasn't easy. Humility was not easy in prison. Mm-hmm. Because some people would say something to me, and I'd say, I, I can break them in half. Yeah. Right? And I just had to walk away. Yeah. That's uh, what we were talking about to you, about, you know, you were trying, J-Line was trying to change, and, you know, just that, Environment it made yeah. it difficult, and he was actually an evangelist in prison. And uh, you know, so 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 did um did the other inmates see the change gradually, or was it? Well, evident? they did. You know, uh, you know, of course, some people uh, some people say, well, you know, he's got the Jesus game going on. Yep, and, course, <laughs> and that's legitimate because yes. you know, there's a lot of people who got the Jesus yes. game going on in prison. Yes. I would like to say. Uh, oh, there's great revivals taking places in prison. There isn't. I wish there was, but there isn't. Yes. But there are there are people who are coming to the faith, and uh, there's a, a recent um, fellow uh, who just passed away in Rhode Island, a friend of mine, and uh, he uh, he was in Norfolk and he came back to Walpole, and all of a sudden I hears this voice. I know whose voice it was. I says, what? Are you doing here? He said, I gotta talk to you, right? I said, Okay, Tilly, what's up? He said, What everybody wants to know, what's going on with you? Mm-hmm. And I explained to him what's going on. I said, I don't know. I said, I'm early in this whole thing. I said, but I'm getting this divine revelation thing from God that somehow I need to change. And, and of course, you know, no one understood. I said, you know, nobody has anything to worry about. Mm-hmm. I don't have, no, I'll do my time like anybody else. But here's, here's an interesting thing. I uh, Some months had passed, and I had I was working with the chap. I was his clerk. And I walked in, and Tilly's there. And I says, what are you doing here? Are you checking up on me? He says, no. I'm just trying to understand what's going on in your life. Mm. You know what I mean? And Tilly, you know, and, and, and Wild Bill and all the other guys, so really, really good, because when I got to the point when I was in, in prison... 
And I was doing that. I was preaching at Sunday morning services and Bible studies. They'd come out. They were very supportive. Yes. The sad part is none of them. I mean, they believed in my the change that took place in my life. They really believed in the change that took place. But they wouldn't believe enough for themselves. Wow. And he that just, just so bothered me. He just passed he away just passed not away. too long ago, and you were yeah. telling me over the phone that you kept trying and trying, yeah. and but you don't know. Maybe he he, yeah, well, he could have he no, could have accepted. Only God knows. On his, yes. you know, only God knows what someone says in their last breath. Mm. And I, I, you know, it's not my position to say who's in heaven, or who's in hell. I said, God, it's it's up to you. It's up to the Lord. It's I have a, I have a question. So you said you know that. It, it happens. People go go to jail and find religion, jailhouse religion. They call it whether it's Christianity, um, Islam, and um, five percenters, or mm-hmm. you know whatever. Um, when 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 I had my change, and I knew it was some, there was something different in my heart, how how like how I felt about sin, how I looked at things, and when people would look at me or say, "Oh, this is a jailhouse thing." It would it would hurt me and frustrate me. Oh, it yeah. bother, did it bother you? Because I knew there was something different about yeah, me. Yeah, well, you know, it, it. I knew they didn't understand. God showed me that everybody who did not like what was going on with me were kind of like the lost and blind. Mm. And so that's how I perceived Good it. They're still lost Good point. and they're still blind, so they really don't know. I said, well, you don't beat up lost people. You try to rescue them. You don't beat up yes. blind people. Amen. You try to direct them. And so that's the way God handled it with me. But I I think the biggest thing is because I would, you know, in myself, I'd I'd rather bust somebody's head. Mm. You know, there's still the flesh in you. You know, that doesn't go away. The flesh didn't go away when I, you know, I tell people, you know, when when you're redeemed and justified, that's instantaneous. Mm. Sanctification? Process. Process. You know, in my early years as a Christian, I was still carrying shanks and stuff like this. I mean, I broke up a couple rapes in prison, chased guys out of cell block with swords and stuff like this, so you know. Oh yeah, this is a Christian with a sword, but you know, yeah. <laughs> like I said, yeah. <laughs> the sword <laughs> of the spirit. Yeah, yeah, That's you know, holiness is an instantaneous all of a sudden in prison. But uh, yeah, I, my, my biggest challenge was to hear people say something, and I, I know I could crush them. Yeah, you know, and I probably should crush them to make an example of them. But the spirit of God just said, no. This is not what you Revenge do. Is mine. This is not what you yeah. do anymore. That's true change. Yeah. And it was tough. I mean, you, you talk about swallowing your pride. No. You really have to swallow your pride. And, and just, but you know what? That's part of the molding process of Christ. Right. That's part of him purging the old man out. You know, we, we as Christians, we develop, like no matter when we come to Christ, you say, like, come to Christ in 30. Well, you built up 30 years of bad habits. Those 30 years of bad habits ain't going away like this. No. All of a sudden you get all oh, these wonderful new habits. If if God changes like that, we'd probably go nuts. Yeah, what's now, going on here? Like, we'll be able to handle it. Yeah. So it, there is a process there. There absolutely is a process, yes. Mm-hmm. So you're uh, teaching, preaching, you know, uh, assisting um, the reverend and... Uh, let's talk about your wife. You've, you've oh, met your, wife. you met your lovely wife. Yes, we are getting an anniversary coming up. Well, Charles Colson, uh, Watergate fame, wrote the book Born Again. Mm-hmm. He was a prison fellowship international, and uh, what they did is they uh, they did these prison invasions on weekends. So some of the Patriots and Celtics and uh, uh, Bruins and Red Sox came in, all Christian guys. And what they do is some accompanying churches actually come in with them. And uh, me and my buddies had a thing. When a husband and wife came in, sat by themselves, we'd leave them alone. But if a single woman came in, me and my, my buds, we would place ourselves beside these women 
to keep the gameplay away because you get flashes and all kinds of weirdos mm-hmm. inside the prison. Absolutely. So we would sit there to make sure they're okay. Right. I just happened to sit beside this little 99-pound cute thing. And, uh, you know, we, we, we talked. As a matter of fact, I, when the women get up to clean up after their beating, I turned around and said, what's wrong with you? You don't do dishes? <laughs> that, right? Well, anyway, we, we stayed in touch for like two years. And to be honest with you, when she wrote me, it was like she was writing another girl. When I wrote to her, it was like I was writing another guy. There was mm-hmm. nothing romantic between us, nothing like that whatsoever. I'm doing life in prison. I'm never getting out. I don't mm-hmm. want a wife. I don't need a girlfriend. I don't need any of that kind of stuff. And after two years, uh, she moved. We lost contact. <clears throat> and uh, one day, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was praying. And uh, it's funny because I've done a lot of TV shows, like Chronicle and 700 Club and stuff like this. And every time one of those things air, I hear from all these women, oh, God's calling to be your wife. And they send me money <laughs> and pictures. And, uh, you people are nuts. <laughs> I used to tell Chap, I said, I can't take this money. He said, well, he said, we, have, we know the, the treasurer out front. Just take it and donate, Kevin. When the money comes in, take it and donate. So that's what I did because I want anybody to think I was taking money from anybody. And the pictures, you get rid of them. So anyway, God says, that woman is going to be your wife. And I says, <laughs> I don't want a wife. Mm. You know? I said, matter of fact, I don't know how to get in touch with her. So I'm free. I went over to the chapel the next day, and I'm cleaning up a little bit. And there's a newspaper, there, the Evangelistic Association newspaper. On the front page, his sister and brother-in-law. They're pastors of a church. Mm. And God says, you can contact them through them. Yep, you can get in touch with her now. What's this? So I... Sent the sister a kite, that's a letter, a kite. Put a little note there for Linda, and she'd come back to me. And I never, after about two or three letters, notes, not leaving letters, she says, I don't come without a visit. I said, well, come on up. So anyway, God told me to go up there and tell her she's going to be my wife. Wow, that's, what was her reaction? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this little 99-pound cute little thing comes up, and me, big old convict, comes out there, tough guy. I couldn't do it. Man, I could not. I said, I can't do this. I kind of be nuts. Yeah. You know? And so she drove like two hours up to see me. I gave her 20 minute visits in her home. <laughs> so, anyway, the Holy Spirit grabbed me again. I said, No, that's going to be your wife. Mm. She'd get up here again. So I contacted her. She came up. And so, anyway, I tell people, she sat down. I sat down. And I grabbed her hands, and she immediately pulled the hands out of my hands. Oh, well. I just, all I did was touch her hands. And it's she not, pulled out. I said, oh, this that's is not a go, good start. This is going to go over really good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to look like a real jerk over here. <laughs> and uh, I said, Linda, I said, uh, just bear with me for a minute. I said, if you think I'm out of the box, you think I'm nuts, fine. I said, but I got to tell you something. And so I told her, I said, I really believe the Lord has shown me you're going to be my wife. Uh, and she looked at me. She says, you know, I was coming up here and God pulled me over to rest stop and told me to listen to what you have to say wow. because what you're going to say is from him. Wow. Amazing. And then we and then we got counseling from Jim Spence and other people. Okay. Now, anybody who knows anything about prison, prison marriages don't work. Yes. Okay? And if they do work inside, a week after they go, they're gone. <laughs> okay? So they don't, Absolutely. You know, they're, they're a big gaff. Okay? Yeah, the, the guys usually look for the big girls and the old ladies. You know what I mean? So they got to check every week. That's part of the game. You know yes, what I mean? Yes. They sit back and they get the first letters done in blue, the second sentence is done in red, yes. the third is done in yellow and hearts and all this kind of stuff. But uh, after they counseled Linda and they counseled me and they counseled together, everybody, all three of them, ministers of the gospel, really conservative people, 
believed this was of God. Wow. And so, you know, and, and I, I told us, you know, I said, let's wait till I get a long way to minimum security. Lucky we didn't do that because I never went to minimum security. I was always <laughs> behind the walls, right? Mm. And uh, she said, nope. She said, we're not going to sin. I said, what? She said, well, I'm going to sin. She said, if I come up here and have a visit with you, I'm going to be sinning. <laughs> I said, okay, so we'll have, a, we'll have a wedding. Now, you know something about weddings. You're in the visit room, you go to the side room for 15 minutes. And I said, God, I said, I got to give the girl some kind of wedding. Well, lo and behold, superintendent, hey, Kev, are you getting married? Yep. This was the superintendent when he was a caseworker. I used to witness to him, and him and his family became Christians. Wow. He gave me his conference room. Wow. It was a 30 by 30 conference room. Now, did you have steak and lobster? Uh, well, no, but we had to have Chinese food. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, I had 52 people there for oh, my wow. wedding inside the prison, inside the walls. This, this ain't minimum security. This is beyond the walls. I had 52 people there. I had the mayor of the town of, uh, or actually the town administrator of the town of Norfolk, or Norwood. This was Norwood. His wife was a gospel singer, a very known, well-known gospel singer, came up and did the music. I had the whole place decorated. had $700 worth of Chinese food, non-alcoholic wine, champagne, all this kind of stuff there. Also, guys and caseworkers come up to hear about this event. How did you pull this off? <laughs> Don't ask questions in the big house. <laughs> and we had we had the room for five hours. We did. We had five nice wedding. She was all in a beautiful gown. I was in a beautiful suit, and yeah, we had a good time. God is so good. Yeah, God is so good. I look back at some of the things I did in prison. Like I used to do cable TV shows mm-hmm. from prison. From prison. Yeah. So we, well, here's a funny story. Oh. You, you're you're going to like this. It's a. Uh, at one of the prisons, I had the Medway uh, community TV people wanted me to do teachings, gospel teachings for the TV show for the church. And so we made arrangements, superintendent, superintendent gave me his conference room, it's another superintendent, and I had a beautiful fireplace behind me and stuff like this, and I'd be sitting at a table like this, and I'd give a teacher, and I'd say, and I have these little you know, cheat notes in front of me, I said, now Jane is going to cut away, we're going to cut away, and Jane's going to sing Amazing Grace. And of course, they would take it back and spice it back into the studios and make a program out of it. So one day, I had this, this sergeant comes up to me, he says, hey, Kim, he says, uh, he says, my wife's a Christian, he says, I'm not there yet. My wife says, this guy's on TV. And she says, he is the clearest, most precise Christian teacher she's ever heard. He said, he makes everything easy to understand. He doesn't make it theological. He makes it easy to understand. And she told me, someday, when you're home on a Sunday, you have got to watch this guy. So she yells upstairs, he's on, he's on. (laughs) I got that guy. He's just a convict. She says, what? He's just a convict. Oh, wow. <laughs> he wow. says, I told my wife, he says, yeah. He says, that's you on TV in my house. <laughs> that is hilarious. But I would wow. film four shows in one day. And they would they'd splice all the shows together and go out and, you know, out to the network, out to the communities. So, I, I, th- I think of those things. And I, I just took it for granted back then. I sit back to now as my book is being written. I says, man, God, you moved mountains to get to, to do these things, and I, no I just didn't realize they were big events. He, he, yeah. did, he did, and he does. So, so that was one of my questions, like purpose. So, it, it sounds like early on you got saved. There was radical transformation as far as your heart being changed and sanctification was going on. Um, how long did it take you to to start teaching and, and ministering? And well, is it, would you say that is one of your callings? I, I would say I started ministering. Talking to people right away. Immediately. Yeah, right away. Wow. Uh, I, I would say it was about four years before I started preaching. Okay. And I had a Bible class between, you know, 50 and 60 men every week. 
uh, you know, just break it down. I, I just try to make things simple. I don't try to make them theological. Right. Uh, I got an education while I was in prison. I mean, uh, the chaplain set me and these two other guys up at these courses. And they were tough courses. They weren't easy. But all of a sudden, I, I learned that mine are getting tougher than theirs. Mm. So I go to the chaplain and say, why are my questions so much <laughs> tougher than theirs? Right? If we're doing the same thing, he's don't worry about it. Just do it carefully. So he calls you back about six months ago. He calls you down six months later. He's not going to tell you why. He says they're impressed with your work, which is kind of weird because I only got a you know, few months of uh, junior high school. And uh, he says they're impressed with your work and they want to take your work and send it to seminaries and see if they can get you scholarships. Wow. And so they got scholarships at Calvary Christian College and Seminary out of Michigan and Christian Bible College in, Cal- in uh, North Carolina. They both gave me scholarships. Wow. So I ended up doing 17 years of studies, accredited studies in school, in the prison with you know, chaplains being the proctors and all this kind of stuff. And so I, and when I walked out of prison, I walked out with a doctorate in biblical studies, a master's degree in Christian counseling, <laughs> a BA in Christian theology. I'm blown A guy who didn't know anything. Who, I'm blown who couldn't away. write five letters. That's you know amazing. I mean? So God makes a way, all these weird, weird ways. Oof. And I just, I didn't think too much. But like I said, now that I'm writing a book, I look at the events. I says, you know, to me it was just like, okay, I'm going to do it. Yeah, that's how I am. And like I, I sit back in amazement today and say, wow, God really moved, and I was just really not fully aware of what He was doing. You were in the moment, so yeah, you know. But now that yeah. you, you, to me, I was just doing what come naturally, right? You know, okay, the doors open, I'm doing it. Because. Yeah. That doesn't happen. No, no. I mean, governors <laughs> don't come to prisons and visit guys. No, I mean, TV guys shows from prison. They have their own office in prison with their own phones. I don't, you know, guys in prison don't call up the governor and say, oh, Kathy, by the way, is the governor there? I got to talk to him. You know, those things don't happen. No. You know what I mean? We had the hunger strikes. Uh, we dealt with those big hunger strikes. We had the CBS 10. After they ruled against unions, they threw us in the hole and said we charged with mutinous acts and all kinds of atrocious crimes. And they got the whole guards union, a whole bunch of inmates to sign a petition. If we got released out of the hole, you know, we're going to protest and leave the prison because they're scared of us getting out. And, uh, and of course, they accredited me uh, for the director of corrections, Brad Southworth and Bill Laurie, being fired mm-hmm. because we told them we weren't eating. And I, was, uh, I lost like 50-somewhat pounds. Wow. And uh, we really, uh, the governor had... Uh, Lyle Sappensley, Steve Fortunato, state senators, part of an investigating committee, they already knew who we were. So we came in, I had this big white jumpsuit, and they asked me to take it off, and I just had my underwear, it was all bones. And so there we are, it's like the director, commissioner of corrections is lying, the director's lying, they all got fired, they had to give their resignations. Man. So they kind of credited me for, and I, you know, it was, it was sad because actually, Brad Selkworth, um, even though he wasn't a correction expert, I liked the guy, and, and Bill Laurie, who became the, like, charged the, uh, the max. I liked them. I, I I thought they were nice guys, but they were just being, they were naive and they were being led by a, a lot of bad people in the prison system. They were actually nice guys. Right. So after all that, um, let's talk about parole, parole board. And I believe you uh, went before them a few times. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I had a, I flipped a case in the, in the courts. So my 75 to 85 and 19 and 20 went out the window. We weren't wow. guilty of that. They knew we weren't guilty of that. They just, they just said, whatever, it's okay. They don't play fair, we don't play fair. Yeah, it works. It worked in my favor anyway. But anyway, I did yeah, end up getting to the pro board. And uh, my, uh, you know, you've been to pro hearings. 
They usually last like 15 minutes, right? He's talking to Jaylon, by the way. Okay. okay. Yes. I'm just talking just to clarify. I'm talking to my fellow convict over here. Okay. And so an average pro here is like 15 minutes. And, uh, you know, and you just walk out of the institution. Well, I got transported to Boston. And I had a public hearing. For parole. For parole. Wow. And my, my hearing was four hours and 23 minutes long. And they mm. had FBI profile reports, state police reports. Anyway, they... They uh, they shot me down for five years. They give me a five year setback. So okay, I do another five years. People say, well, if you make pro, what are you gonna do? I'm gonna say, okay, God, what's next? So what if you don't make pro? I'm gonna say, okay, God, what next? Mm. Now, how long how long did you do until your your first pro hearing? Up to twenty five years. Twenty five years. Okay. So anyway, I goes up to the next pro hearing, and they didn't have a full complement of the wasn't uh, didn't have enough pro members on there. They had five. So three voted for another five-year setback. Two voted for a, a conditional uh, release. Mm. And so well, three, three against two, I lose, right? Well, the chairman, who's only supposed to break ties, decided to vote wow. and made a tie vote, which meant they had to come back in nine months now and review me again. They came back in nine months, and they had a full complement of the board. And I got three-three vote. Free, stay, you would never... You know, and, and I understand the cops because, you know, they, they'll look at the paper. You know, that's all they yeah. see. They're seeing the paper. Yeah. I understand that. You know, but they're saying, please, this guy be right back into it in the first week. And I, no hard feelings. But three voted for my release. She broke the tie. The chairman. For some reason, God gave me favor with this lady. He was an attorney, actually. And uh, so I, was, I made a parole. Now... I was supposed to go out to pro, and 18 hours before I'm getting released, I get called up to the OIC, officer in charge. He says, hey, Kev, uh, got to talk to you. He says, what? He says, uh, you got to see Donna, who's a pro lady. He says, uh, you're not going home tomorrow. What's that mean? I got the papers right here. He says, Kev, you are not going home tomorrow. He says, they are protesting your parole. Wow. They are really mad that you're making a parole, and they're putting pressure on the pro board. So I went and seen Donna. Now, have you ever seen The Wizard of Oz? Yes. The Wicked Witch of West? Mm-hmm. That was Donna. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, but that was Donna. I'll get you, my pretty. Right? And I walked in, and she was like so sweet and so nice. And she says, all my years, I've never seen anything like this happen to somebody. And she says to me, have you ever heard the expression, bite the bullet? And I looked at her. I said, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I might have heard that once or twice. Right. And she said, well, here's what they want to do. They want you to jump through all these different hoops and stuff like this. And, uh, you know, and they want you to fail so they can hang something on their hat. They said, well, they want you to do drug programs. I said, I never do drugs. Mm. I said, they know that. They want you to go to AA. Uh, I said, I've never been a drunk. I've never been drunk in my entire life and all this kind of stuff. So they're going psychological things and stuff like this. Anyway, I had to take this test to get into this program. And the average person, uh, you have to get at least 20 points. The average person gets 30 or more. I got three points. Wow. I didn't qualify for it. So you know what they did? They fudged the papers. They did fraudulent things to get me in the program. Fraudulent use of government money. <laughs> wow. Anyway, I went through the program. And in fact, I, actually, they actually told me, uh, Kev, you don't have to just stay in the unit. You don't even have to do the program. We're just going to mock you in every day. I said, I, I, I got to do something. It within 30 days, though, I was using the Bible in the program, oh. and I was teaching the program. And Shoot. so I bit the bullet and walked out. Now, here's the interesting thing. See, God told me in a dream I was getting out of prison years beforehand. He said, 25 years from this point, you're walking out. 
And if I had walked out the day I was supposed to have been, it was only my 24th year. Mm. I didn't realize that. And now, after I completed that program, which I didn't want to do, was my 25th year. Mm. And so I said, when God says 25 years, he doesn't mean 24, it doesn't mean 23, he means 25 more. Mm. And I walked out. And I walked out, and Linda was waiting for me. I grabbed her hand, and she says, don't look back. I said, I'm not going to look back. And the first place she took me was to Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and I got two coffees, and I came back with change. I said, Linda, I said, I think I just got robbed. <laughs> I said, when I went to prison, coffee was like 10 cents. <laughs> She's welcome to a new world, kid. You're 32 right. years have passed. <laughs> that must have been like, oh, my God, 32 years in there. The, what was it like getting out? Yes, what you know, was what? the transition like? Mm. It was so easy. Really? It was, a br- it was a breeze. I went to a halfway house. I was supposed to be in a halfway house for 18 months. After three months, they contacted the parole board and said, we want to release this guy. There's nothing we can do for him. There's, there's nothing we can do for him. He's, he's the best actor in the world. Or what he's doing is legit. Mm. I, got, I got a job within 30 days. I became a foreman of my own paint crew up in Wellesley, Massachusetts. A guy got me a job. Um, I had to get my license, although there's a funny story about my license. A um, person from the halfway house, I, of course, I had to take the written test for us because so many years had gone by. And so he takes me off my driver's test. He's in the back seat and I'm in the front seat. And all of a sudden, this big, burly state cop comes out, bald-headed, mean-looking guy. I said, boy, it's going to be fun. So he gets in the car and he says, hmm, never driven before? I said, yeah, I've driven before. I had a license on Kevin Dodge. Wow. Man, he says, you stayed steady all those years. You never gave up anybody, did you? I said, nope. He says, Kev, I know, I know you know how to drive. He's just driving around the block. I'm going to mark all your papers off for you. <laughs> and a caseworker back there from the halfway house, he says, I didn't see this, did I? <laughs> he shakes my hand. He says, I wish you the very, very best. I got my license. The caseworker says, we ain't telling anybody back at the halfway house about this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a license coming home is a big step. Um, but it's similar, similar testimony. I don't know if you remember asking me how it was transitioning. Yeah. When God is involved. Yeah, you said it was very easy, right? It, it, it was a breeze. The only yeah. thing that confused me was technology, because I've never seen anything. Same. I never seen computers, cell phones, all that kind of Matter of fact, when I first seen people walking down the street, talking, I thought they were talking to themselves. These people are crazy. bugs around here, frightening me. Right? He said, oh, no, they got hit pieces. They're talking to people. I said, they're doing what? He's talking to people. I said, oh, okay. And they were walking down the street one day and framing him. I was some of the guys at the halfway house. I turned around and I said, what'd you say? He says, I didn't say nothing. I said, what do you mean you didn't say nothing? Of course you did. I said, what, you played me like a, some kind of flip ahead? I said, of course you said, Kevin, that's the lamp. It's talking to you. It's telling you not to cross the street yet. I said, okay. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> so, so you went into prison what year? In the 70s. I went in my 20s. I walked out when I was 55 years old. In the 70s. And, and got out what year? Uh, 205. Yeah. And I'm in my 70s now. Yeah. So you can tell I just had a heart attack. I'm in my 70s. <laughs> You're looking great. I, you had the heart attack. I think you messaged me like like the day after or that week, and I'm like, yeah. it doesn't look like you had a heart attack. Yeah. Matter of fact, I was supposed to speak at the Broken Chains Biker Church that night. And, uh, I was supposed to speak at 6 o'clock at night. I had the heart attack at 1 o'clock, and I picked up the phone. He said, hey, Tom, I ain't going to make it. What's wrong? I'm having a heart attack. He's calling him canceling the event while he's I having called, a heart attack. I called, and I told my wife, don't call the embassy. She's like, I got to take a shower. I'm all sweaty. In the, in, the, in the hospital, they said, 
you actually took a shower? I said, yeah, I told my wife I had to take a shower for us. <laughs> that's just me in a nutshell. That's who I am. So now, what do you uh, You have a ministry. Yes, now, we right? have a ministry. Yeah, well, we were, we're very busy until the pandemic came in, obviously. Mm-hmm. Now, I do conventions. I do churches, prisons, recovery homes. I teen challenges. I teen challenge last night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but everything I do is, is ministry. You know, I drive Ubers on the side. I keep my pamphlets okay. in the car. And I minister to 90% of the people who walk in my car. Wow. Easily, 90%. I talk to them. I say, so how are you doing today? Every day is like a vacation. I'm blessed. Is it blessed? I say, yeah, I said blessed. And I always get in conversations with them. Yeah. Mm. Amen. God makes easy. the way. He opens yeah. the doors. Amen. My prayer every single day when I walk out of my house, Lord, give me at least one person to speak to I usually talk to 10 or 15 of them every yeah. single day about the Lord. Yeah. In fact, I picked yeah. up some college kids from uh, Roger Williams College last night, three girls, and I talked to them. One girl's kind of psycho. <laughs> and they were just so excited. They didn't want to go into the bar. Wow. Right? And she says, I just think like you, you just transformed our lives. You just gave us something, new things to think about in life. She says, we just learned more from you in 10 minutes than we've learned all year of school. Mm. <laughs> I says, well, that's God. That's God. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You have your, what is your ministry called? Do you have a name for your ministry? JKL Ministries. What, does Jesus, that... Kevin, and Linda. Oh, nice. <laughs> so unlike the R, the, the letters mean something for that. Yeah, I, I, I just oh, go right. by Kevin. <laughs> so that's that's amazing. And, you know, you're going around to different churches, different, different places. But like you said, every day... Every day is a ministry. You know, I don't care what you are. If you're a cop, if you're a Christian carpenter, your whole mission yes. is to glorify God. Yes. No yes. matter what you're doing in life. So I, I take every single opportunity to tell people. To, I mean, I've had the opportunity to lead people to Christ in an Uber, wow. in a limousine. Every time I drop somebody off at a hospital, I say, no, I, I, say, I, I, I don't mean embarrass you, but I actually believe in prayer. Do you? Oh, yeah, it's good. Let me pray for you before you go into the hospital. And I pray with everybody who goes in. Amen. God is you. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm not amazed because um, just the experiences in my life and how I've seen God move in other lives. But I'm encouraged. Um, every chance we get, we should be trying to show the love of Christ, show show people you know, who Christ is, the peace, the love, the forgiveness he offers, the grace, the eternal life. Um, so I'm encouraged. And it just you know what Jesus me. said? The fields, the harvest is ready, mm-hmm. but the labors are few. True. Then we who our labors, we we better get to it. Yes, we better get going. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you're you've times are short. This is a dangerous world we're living. Absolutely. This this is a post Christian world now. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. The, the, we are we are going to be the considered the haters. They're not going to be liking us. Yes. We're very narrow. I said. Well, you know what Jesus said. Straight and narrow is the road to eternal life. Yep. So I'm just following him. Oh. I said, if you have a beef with me, go argue with Jesus. Okay? Go argue with Jesus. Don't argue with me. Absolutely. So um, you have an amazing story, and God has worked so much in your life. And like Jalon said, I don't want to say it's amazing because it's God. God. But um, in, in closing, um, all that you've been through, could you give someone – and the people listening, uh, words of encouragement who are down in their luck, maybe are wrapped up in crime, things they're not supposed to be doing. Maybe they just got out of prison. Could you give them? Then I'm going to close with one of my parables that I made up then. Oh, right? I love it. Yes. When I talk to people, I hope you listen. I, I want you to listen very, very carefully. 
I want you to picture right now a forest fire. And when you see a forest fire, you see the devastation, don't you? You see the burning embers, the ash, the smoke. And when you see a forest fire, the first thought you have is, what devastation, nothing good can come out of that. But yet over a period of time, what happens? God sends the rain, and he sends the sunshine, right? And before you know it, you come back in about eight months, and all these little green shoots are coming out of the ground. Why? Because the roots were never dead, and that ash that looked destructive served as a fertilizer for mm. new growth. Well, our lives are like that. You just get out of prison. You have ash in your life. If you're involved in drugs, the alcohol, or sexual abuse, you have ash in your life. But God wants you to know that your roots are still alive. God still cares about you. God still has a plan for your yes. life. And that ash, those past experiences, those past hurts and pains, God wants to use as a fertilizer to birth new growth out of your lives. Mm -hmm. Now, see, mm -hmm. I found my new shoots. And that's why I have purpose and peace and direction today. And that's what God wants for everybody who's listening today, my brothers. God wants them to have a sense of peace, a sense of purpose, a sense of direction. But more than anything else, he wants them to know that they matter. No matter what your condition, I don't care how beat up you have been, you matter to God. You might be a prostitute. You might be a male hooker. You might be a drug addict with needles in your mouth right now. But you matter to God, and Jesus loves you. And I just challenge you to just call out. Call out to a place where you can find help. Mm. Go to the people who will love you unconditionally. And, and, and let the love of Christ come into your life. Say that great theological prayer that I did. Hey, you up there, you can change lives. Try this one. You won't be disappointed. That's all I can tell you. And then find a local church and find people who love you unconditionally. Come as you are. Mm. And that gets a big amen from you. How are you, Jaylon? Excellent. So this was great. We thank you for your time and uh, keep doing what you're doing, Kevin. Oh, this is my joy to come down here and meet you guys. This, this is great. great. And you did wonderful. you did fall a little bit coming from the 700 to us, but yeah, you know. I was blessed. <laughs> ah, this is wonderful. I was blessed. I this was is wonderful. Blessed. This is this, this is great stuff. So um, I have a T-shirt for you, Kevin. Okay. Uh, we have the official "What's Your Story" uh, T-shirt. What's your story on the back? It says everyone's got one, and my story you? is history. Now put a hyphen there. It says his story. story. His story. I and mean, people say, "Well, you give us your testimony." I says, "I can't do that. I say, I didn't change my life. I'll give the testimony of Jesus Woo! in my life. <laughs> That's the story. His say story. his story. Very yeah. good. And Jaylon, because you told your story last year on the Blue Collar Hour, and you're helping me in this uh, guest host. We have a T-shirt for oh, you, my man. I shouldn't have, but if you insist. And last but not least, um. Kevin, you are the first one to tell your story on what's your story. So we have a book with what's your story and your name on it and a handsome smile on it. And I would ask you to put this on the bookshelf um, as you told the story on this podcast. Oh, thank you very, very much. Very good. You might want to take those headphones off because you might. Oh, okay. <laughs> Here you go, sir. And just put it on that top shelf right there. Right up there. Right up there, all the way to your left. Oh, don't fall now. 
Right to my left. Excellent. Very good. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So this has been great, Kevin. We thank you for your time. We thank you for sharing with us and blessing us and blessing our viewers. Well, we hope they the were blessed. We hope they have ears to hear. So yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm going back to Cape Cod. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time on What's Your Story?